Let's bow for prayer. Lord, I come to you in the name of Jesus and I ask for a blessing this morning. I ask for your Holy Spirit this morning. I ask for guidance, direction, protection, wisdom. Lord, in Brother Mark, just fill his mind and his lips with your truth and touch us as well, Lord. Just help us to hear what you have for us. Thank you for this gathering. Large group of people here for compared to normal. And I pray that everyone that made an effort to be here would be blessed by being here. We just thank you and praise you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, brother. Thank you, brother. I want to do something this morning I've never done before. And uh, uh, the purpose is to make it a little more real in our minds how to pray. This isn't the main message. I just would like to somehow it was impressed upon me as we were sitting here earlier today, this morning. I don't know who said what, but it came to me, you know, when I come before God, one of I have maybe several motives and several intentions and several desires, but one of them is to honor and glorify him, to give him praise. That's one of the reasons I come before God. And I can even do that just simply by coming in, immediately going into my needs. I have a need. I have this thing in my life or somebody else. I can do that by doing that. I can honor God by doing that. I can also honor God as David does much in the Psalms. He just expresses and extols the power and the wisdom and the, and the magnificence of God. That's also a way to glorify God. So this morning, what I'd like to do, I'd like to spend a little time in prayer together. And I'd like to the first part of our prayer. I just want to worship and honor God in in just by extolling him and expressing his magnificence and his greatness and that kind of thing. I want to stand to do that. Then after that, I want to kneel. I want to express to God our needs. And come before him in humility. So let's all stand together. Father, we stand before you as a congregation, as people who have a great desire to worship you and to honor you. In fact, Lord, it is so much our desire that we have dedicated our lives to doing those things. And being those people that you want us to be. And as we read in your word and as we see who you are, not only by reading in your word, but by our entire life and the way things work out. I thought as the children were singing that song, that stone went in that sling and it went up and into the forehead of Goliath and down he came. It was a power of God. It wasn't the power of David. You used David, but it was a power of God. And so, Lord, as we as we think about you this morning, as we just stand here before you, we want to worship you. Somehow, Father, in all of your beauty and glory and magnificence, somehow you're there. We can't imagine hardly who you are in your brightness and your righteousness and your holiness. It's almost beyond our comprehension. But, Lord, somehow, if we can somehow just simply say, as David did, blessed be the name of the Lord. You're righteous. You make no mistakes. You're holy. There is no sin at all, no wrong, nothing in you.
You judge fairly. You give to us, Lord, those things that you know that we need. And you take away from us those things that you know that we don't need. And we admit sometimes it's a little hard. But yet, Lord, we worship you because we know you are the almighty God. Righteous, holy, powerful, controlling, creation, creator of all things. You are our king. The one who has control of everything. And we worship you this morning. May your kingdom come and your will be done is our prayer this morning. Now let's kneel together. And Lord, while we acknowledge your greatness, we acknowledge that you are the one who has all things in control and we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. We pray, Lord, that you would give us grace. That you would give us, yea, even, and, and this is, you do it in many ways, humility and weakness and, and, and meekness. Not depending on our own strength, but rather, Father, acknowledging that we have needs and a need, and only through you will we, will we be able to accomplish what you want us to accomplish on this earth. Father, we admit and we acknowledge some of us here are struggling with overcoming sin. There's a sin in our life that we're not quite able to overcome. We try. We pray. We say, Lord, forgive me. And we do it again. We have a need. And we have needs. Whether it be some sin that is filthy from the pit of hell. Or whether it be just the small start of something that leads into something like that. Still sin. So Father, we come and acknowledge we have needs. Some of us here have those kind of needs. Some of us here have a desire to rise above and to, to be different than we are. and Not necessarily from sin to sin or sin to non-sin, but to just simply... We've understood, we, we know the, 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 the beauty of, say, patience. And we're not as patient as we should be and we want to rise above. We want to get above that. We want to say, we want to be patient. We want to be joyful. Some of us here struggle with that. Just being content. Some of us want to be different than we are. In whatever way we want to talk about or think about. And Lord, we pray, help us to do what it takes to accomplish what you want to do in us. And Father, to find that humble resignation submission to waiting on God. To let you have your way with us. We pray, Father, for grace to do that. And Father, we pray for those who might be struggling with understanding why things are the way they are. We pray, Father, that even as things have turned out in life differently than they might have envisioned them to be or are turning out different. I pray, Father, that help us, Lord, to just keep continually coming 
Like that man there that had a friend come and he went to his neighbor and said, I need some bread. And he just kept asking and asking and asking. Help us to do that, Lord. And to Father, to recognize that there is power in this. And to understand that there is reason we pray. And there is beauty in it. There is lessons to be learned in it, Father. Help us to understand these things. And to be, Father, led by the Spirit of God, we pray for that. That everything we do in life would be according to your will. Everything would be in life would not be because of the love of the world, but because of the love of the Father. That everything in life, everything about our life, whether we be young and full of energy and full of vision and full of desires and power even, whether we be young in that way, like these young people sitting here, or we be older and we're, 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 we're crested the hill and we're, we're looking at an end. Father, I pray that you would give us each wisdom to how to live out our life. That the legacy we leave behind would be one that points to Jesus Christ. Whether it be as we walk through life or whether it be after our death. That you could say of us, well done. Amen, Lord. So here we are. Just a little group of people. Only a small part of your larger body across this world. But in this body, you've promised to give us power that even the gates and the powers of hell would not prevail against. You promised that. So Father, we pray, not that we doubt that you will, but we pray because we so desperately need that power. Lead us, Lord, each one of us, not in the temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the path of the kingdom forever. And thine is the power eternal and above everything else. There's no power greater than that. And the glory forever and forever and forever. Nothing, in eternity, nothing challenges your glory. In the, in the realms of heaven. We look forward to that time. And Father, we pray that you would make us to see what our weaknesses are. What our sins are. What our, even, even, what our decisions, how they're going to lead. And to make decisions that change and that make us head the right direction. So Father, we pray, help us, not only for your glory, but for our salvation. We do desire to be saved from eternal damnation. To be saved into the realms of eternal bliss. To be saved into heaven where we can live with you forever. No more temptations, no more trials, no more pain, no more suffering, no more disappointments, no more death. We desire to go there, Lord. And we thank you for what you have done to make the way possible for us. May your kingdom come again and your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. My father recently passed away. He was 91 years old. 
a godly man. A man that I hope I can have the same legacy he has. He had or has. He was a man. A quiet man. He didn't have a lot to say. But he was a faithful man. None of us children ever doubted his love for us. None of us children ever doubted his love for his wife, our mother. None of us children ever doubted his love for the Lord and his love for the church. We never doubted it. He was faithful. He left a legacy behind that each one of us, I am, I can think I can say with assurance and with surety that each one of us want to leave the same legacy behind. Because, you know, every single one of us will someday die. I don't know how it will be. Could be at the at the at the coming of Christ. When you may be alive and you may be here and you may be caught up together to meet those in the air that have already died. I don't know how it will be. But every one of us will leave something behind. I noticed at the funeral, laying there in his ca- in the coffin there in the casket, I noticed something. I noticed, and this is what I noticed. I never noticed it quite like this before. When I watched, and I've been to lots of funerals. But I noticed something that really struck me. I know this. I've known this for every funeral I went to. And I know this as I consider death. But it somehow it struck home with me real hard. Not Well, how do I say it? I'll leave it that way. It just struck home with me. That my father had nothing in that casket beside of him. He took nothing with him. Everything he had. I went out to his shop. Everything was still there. His little tractor was still there. His wood lathe was still there. His saw was still there. His house was still there. His farm was still there. Everything was there. He lay in that casket by himself. Or his body was there. Every one of us will do that someday. And we're going to leave something behind. Even you young ladies. If you die tomorrow... You will leave something behind. Young men. All of us. We'll leave something behind. And the question is, what will it be? What will you leave behind? We have not done it yet. I'm sure we will. We have not as a family. I have... Three brothers and two sisters. There's six of us in the family. We have not gone out to the shop. We've not gone into his bedroom. We've not gone into his house and said, what do we do with this? Mother's still alive. Someday we will. And all those things that had the title of Junior Brubaker on them will all be given away, sold, dispersed, thrown away, whatever. And they do nothing for him. And it's the same way with us. 
<clears throat> Each of us will someday leave all of our possessions behind. Every one of us. It's kind of hard to believe. We're sitting here alive. We talk and we, we converse. We have feelings and we have visions. We have dreams. And, and, and that's okay. That's right. <clears throat> Rachel, someday you'll lay in a coffin. No life. What will we leave behind? What will you leave behind? What will you have given to God? That He can say of you, Well done. Well done. <clears throat> no more blessed words can you hear, or I hear, than the words of the Father. And He says, Well done. It's not how much money you can make, boys. It's not how pretty you can be, girls. It's none of that. That has nothing to do with it. What matters is what you leave behind. What God can say of you, well done. Well done. Not halfway. Not, well, that's pretty good. No. What can he leave? What are you going to leave behind that he will say, well done. Well done, Bob. <clears throat> My father left a legacy behind that gave me a little vision, a little more clearer vision than what I had before. I looked around at his shop and everything was still there. <clears throat> My father had a rock to stand by. He had a consistent, unchangeable standard that he could live by. There's no doubt about what he did. <clears throat> that rock was Jesus Christ. That rock was as Jesus Christ is the head of the church, the head of the body. This is what we can see today. This can be shifting sand or a solid rock. But Christ is the head. <clears throat> what will you stand by? <clears throat> so what is my responsibility in life? Let's be a little more practical. What is my responsibility? What is your responsibility in life? Really now? Really? Sure, we have our, our daily things we do. And things are, are expected of us. And we have our responsibilities. <clears throat> and they are responsibilities. They're things we need to do. But I'm just, I just would like to put a, give a little bit of, a, of a, a definition of what my responsibilities are. And what your responsibilities are. Just a little more definition. And I know, let me say this if I may one, one more time. We spent four and a half months in India this past summer. <clears throat> it was a very rich time for us. Lots of ways. I'll just name one way. Very rich in the fact that we got to see people worshiping literally false gods. With idols of stone and of wood and various things. And they believed things were absolutely untrue. We got to see them. They believed it. Their heart was there. 
But we knew the truth. We know that someday that's all going to fail them. It changed our perspective a bit of, of, of life and of, of those kinds of people. Those kinds of people, <clears throat> they're deceived and don't even know it. They think they're doing the right thing. They believe in Krishna. That's their highest spiritual God. They believe that when they, if they live their life good enough here, there's enough good deeds and outweigh their bad deeds, and they've, they've, uh, they've uh, <clears throat> given themselves so completely over to following Krishna and His ways, they believe that He will take them then, instead of being reincarnated back into a, hopefully a higher form of life, they will be taken into a spiritual realm. They'll never, be, never more be reincarnated back to this life. Krishna has many, many gods under him. Lots of gods. One of them that they would tell us, they tell us, <clears throat> they told us, we worship your Jesus one day a year. Christmas time. That's when they worship our Jesus. We got to see those people and all that deception and all that. It's, it's so false. And they've got a book called uh, the Bhagavad Gita. The Bhagavad Gita. And it's a book about this size. And there's a lot of good things written in that book. There's a lot of, there's a lot of truth in some ways. They, they give good examples and good lessons. They do. They promote a, a, a moral lifestyle. But there's no Jesus. There's no salvation. There's no true Savior for them. <clears throat> so we was in India. It affected our view of them. And it affects our view of life. Life here is amazingly different than most of the world. Go out into their villages. They have mud, uh, mud brick homes they build. They have roofs. They have, they have protection. It's almost always warm there. It goes from warm to hot. And that's where they live. They, they don't have carpet. They don't have, they don't sit in benches like these or pews like these. The fact is, they don't even go to church. Some of the Christians that do, they, even they don't have, they sit on the floor. That's just their culture. That doesn't make it right or wrong for us to sit on benches or not. <clears throat> what they do over there, and where I'm going with all this is, we live in a place that is so different than what most of the world does. Does that make us right? No. Does that make us better? No. But what it does do is put a responsibility on us. We have been given so much. We've been given, taught so much. We've been blessed with so much. We've, we have, life is a luxury. Uh, granted, there may be some difficult things about life, but life is a luxury here. Over there, we go over there with no purpose. We go over there, it wouldn't be long until we'd be back. We go over there with a purpose. <clears throat> And that's where I want to go. What's your purpose? Why are you here? Don't forget we live in luxury. And don't forget, we've been given much, therefore much is required. Now, because we have all these, all these uh, external comfortable things of life, is that why much is required? No, not necessarily. But when we've been given these things, our, our, our uh, challenge is that we don't 
find satisfaction in these things. And that we don't depend on these things to make us happy. They can be taken away so quickly. My father left everything behind. Okay, I'll, I'll go here quickly. What does it mean? What is my purpose? And what is my responsibility in life? What is yours? Paul said, I beseech you, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. He said, follow me and walk. And he said, he said, this is what he said. He said, mark those that do not follow me. Make a note of them. Why? Two reasons. So they can see what they might be doing wrong and so that you can see what not to do wrong. Make a note of them. Not to critically judge them. But that's what Paul said to do. He said, brethren, become followers of the churches of God, which are in Christ Jesus. He said, be not slothful. But through faith and patience, you inherit the promises. Through faith and patience. Believing God is able and God will. And believing that it is possible. I have five, five I think, maybe more now, I forget now. Yeah, five things. Some of what it means to be faithful, to be responsible in what our responsibility is. And this isn't complete. This isn't comprehensive. There are more things than this. But one thing that's necessary that God gives us a responsibility to do. And that is, again, this is not complete. I could say, first of all, I guess I'm foregoing a bit the understanding that to be born again. To love the Lord with all your heart, mind and soul. That's a given. That's a basis. We all know that. We're all there. How does that play out? Love. Number one is love. Gentle, kind, straightforward, truthful, humble, careful love. You know, love can show itself in many ways. Love can be can look like it's a it's, you're kind of hard. Love can also look like you're very soft. But what God wants from us is to have love. It's the, it's the, if I can say, the basis of the action of the Christian life. The basis. Paul says, above all things, put on love. Gentle, kind, straightforward, truthful, humble, careful love. For God so loved the world. I mean, He loved it so much. That we know the rest of the story. He sent His Son to die for us. I want, to, I want to put a responsibility on us. This is the responsibility we have. To love. It's the attribute of the Christian life. It's the, it's the basis, I would say. Number two. I need to keep moving quickly here. Glory. Number two. One of our purposes is for glory. We give glory to God. That's one of our purposes in life. And you know, 
we can, and it's right to, as we did this morning, we stand and just glorify God and just extol His magnificence and His greatness and just proclaim all His goodness. That's right to do. And that's a good thing. That's a right thing to do. That gives glory to God. It's us acknowledging that He is almighty and all-powerful and all-knowing and omniscient and omnipresent. That's one thing we do. We give glory to God. That's one of our responsibilities. But there's another one that sometimes I think we tend to overlook. And that is this. In Revelation 16, verse 9, he says, And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which had power over these plagues, and they repented not to give Him glory. Repentance. To say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Gives Him glory. It's not a humiliating thing for me or for you to come before God and say, God, I was wrong and I'm sorry. God says, that's glorifying to me. It's admitting that He has the answers and He has set the standard and He has, he has the judge. He is the judge. That's what God is doing. That's what you're doing when you repent before God. You're giving Him glory. <clears throat> Number three. Some of our responsibilities we have as you and I walk out the Christian life. Some of the purposes we have. Number three. I called it, you could call it discipleship. I called it follow up and follow through. Follow up and follow through. You know, we can't go two ways at once. We can only go one way at a time. God opens this door for us, let's say. Let's use that expression. And we say, well, that's where we should go. So we walk through that door. What if He opens up two doors at once? You can't go through both of them at once. We go through one door at a time. And then when we go through that door, we can't come back and say, oh, I don't like that. I'm going to go back through this. Well, we can. But my point is, when we go through that door, go through it. We cannot see the end from the beginning. If we could, we'd choose, probably sometimes we choose different things. What we do is, we can only see, we can only see this door open before us and we go through. So then, when we go through that door, we now take on a responsibility for having gone through that door and carrying that that responsibility we take as we go through that door, whatever it may be. It may be something as small as changing jobs, getting another job. You're going through a door, but you have a responsibility when you go through there. And the responsibility is that you perform that job, as, as, as uh, the Scriptures say, with your whole heart. Follow up and follow through. When you, if you set your face, you're going to do this or do that. You're going through that door or this door. Follow through with what your responsibility is. If you are, <coughs> if you make the commitment, I'm going to do this or not do this, do it. Or not do it. Or if you find out it's wrong, repent. And go back. Follow up and follow through. Follow, that's follow through with what you've committed to. Follow up. What I mean by that is that you are willing to. <clears throat> okay, sometimes we make commitments. And we have to uh, perform. We have to do whatever God has asked us to do or whatever we've committed to do. Follow up and follow through. 
Don't just do it. Don't just go through here and say, oh, I don't like that too well. I think I'll do something else. No, do what you committed to do. It's one of the purposes and responsibilities you have, we have in the Christian life. Number four. Number four. One of the things that is our purpose, that is our responsibility in the Christian life, one of them is, believe it or not, change. We talk about being steadfast on the rock. Amen. I'm not talking about changing from the rock, from Christ. I'm talking about as we walk through life, we realize, oh, wait a minute. I didn't do quite the right thing there. I said something wrong or I am. I, I find myself heading this direction and you know what? I'm not sure I want to go there. Don't be so proud. Say, but I'm not going to admit it. Change. It takes a humble man to change and admit he needs to change and to change for the right. Do it. Do the change that you need to do. And may I emphasize, do it. You commit. You say, this is what I know I should do. You say, Lord, I'm going to do this. You say, Lord, help me to do this. Those are good prayers. Nothing wrong with that. But I want to challenge you. Do it. When you look back after you've been a week, a month, a year in this in this thing that you think you should have been doing. Do you look back? You see, you've done it. Or do you look back and say, oh. I sure haven't changed much. I haven't gained much. I'm saying to you, make the decision and do it. Make the change. Change. One of the responsibilities we have. Nobody's perfect. If I could make, if I could set my course right straight down here today and I knew exactly what I was going to do every day, I wouldn't be in any need of change. But I, but I, I look at tomorrow and I say, how am I going to do that? And then the next day, and I look back and I say, well, that didn't work out too well. I maybe need to change. Change. Do it. Change. Number five. One of the things that is our responsibility, that, that, that is our purpose, that we have a purpose in life. One of the things that God gives to us to make us more like Him. And I would venture to say some of us know more about it than others. And it comes in various forms to some of us more than others. And that is sufferings. Sufferings. Some of us know physical pain. Some of us know emotional pain. Some of us know that there is a, that we know about the, the disappointments of life. Some of us realize we've made mistakes. And we suffer because of it. Some of us make these mistakes or do these things and don't even realize what mistakes we've made or nor do we realize what God is calling us to in these kinds of things. Some of us don't know much about suffering, but some of us do. Some of us understand what it means to be disappointed. That's a small form of suffering. Can be a big form, I suppose, depending on what the consequences are. Sufferings. <clears throat> sufferings in the flesh, sufferings of the mind, sufferings of the body, sufferings of whatever you want to call it. But sufferings, there are things that God calls us to go through. And the purpose of them is to make us holy. That is the purpose. Paul talks about his sufferings. He says, 
The reason, and he says this, and this is our, this is my challenge to me and to us this morning. The Paul says, he says, I've gone through all these things. I counted all these things that I had for loss for Jesus Christ. And he said, why? That I might know him and the power of his resurrection. In other words, that power of a new life. The power of rising up in victory. The power of eternity. He says, I count all those things, but lost for this one thing, that I may know Him. <coughs> and these, these sufferings He goes through. And the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. That's why. And being made conformable unto death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. If by any means I might attain unto that, that place of ultimate bliss with Jesus. Any means. Some of these things God calls us to go through and they have a purpose. One more thing I want to say and then we'll go on to our other subject. The fear of God and the love of Jesus is the primary power to live a godly life. We do that. We submit ourselves. God gives us His Holy Spirit because we have been say because we say we fear God and we love His Son. God gives us power. That is the power to live a godly life. The fear of God and the love of Jesus. And sometimes, maybe more than we think, the fear of hell. It'd be nice if we could all say, my only motivation is because of my, my absolute love for Jesus. Nothing else matters. <coughs> but probably that's not quite true. And what's more, Jesus told us very clearly about hell. <coughs> the fear of hell is a motivator for a soul seeking a Savior. And I'd like for us, I'd just encourage us, let's, let's, Let's look at that fear of hell. Let's look at hell a little bit. You spend some time in your quiet times next week. I encourage you, you spend some time thinking about hell. Knowing all the while there is an escape. But you think about, what if I am not what God wants me to be? What if I haven't been born again? What if I haven't accepted Christ as my Savior? What if I haven't been led by the Holy Spirit? What if... Tomorrow, I'm in an accident and I am killed and I have not done these things. Think about those kinds of things. I encourage you to think about that a little bit. Not to, not to take away from the beauty of Jesus, but to bring to reality that there is an eternity to spend somewhere. And without Jesus, it's hell. Whether those people in India, whatever they do, whatever they understand, I don't know. But one thing I do know is that we know about the right way to live. We know about Jesus. And we know if we don't follow Him and follow through with Him and He rejects us, we go to hell. That we know. <clears throat> Repent of sin. Not just the pain of sin. Not just because I don't like what that thing did to me. No, I don't like because, not, not just because when I did this thing, now I've got consequences to suffer. Don't repent of that necessarily. Repent of the fact that it was sin. <clears throat> if we only repent because we didn't like what happened, 
the root is still there. That root will grow again. Some of the most inspirational men in the Bible. Not all of them. There are some very godly men that we have a hard time finding very much wrong with them at all. Like Joseph being an example. He may have been a little bit proud when he talked to his brothers. Other than that, we don't hear of him doing anything wrong. But there's men like David. And there's men like other men in the Bible that simply they did some things wrong. But the reason they're, mo- they're, they're inspirational to us, the reason they're a motivation to us is not because they did something wrong, but because they repented and turned around and picked themselves up and went on. That, that's inspirational. I'd, I'd lot rather see a man, there's more power in a man who's willing to admit he's wrong and say, I'm sorry and repent. There's more respect given to him if he can say that than the man who never is able to say that. And he does a lot of things right. But show me the man who's able to humble himself and repent. Able to humble himself and say, I'm sorry. Able to humble himself and say, I'm, I'm, please forgive me, I did that wrong. Even if he was only 2% wrong. And 98% was the other person's fault. The man that says, I was wrong. That man has power on his life. That man who is able to... We, we look in the Bible and we see these men... Um, Oh, I don't know who to speak of. David, I'll just use David. He did this sin and he did it more than one time. He did sin more than one time. But he got up. He said, Lord, forgive me. And he went on. And that's why it's inspirational. So the real beauty of a man that falls is not because he falls, but because he gets up. The righteous rise again.